Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 62. Coming to America, 81380. They navigated the green sea by the stars and by the shore, and when the shore was only a memory and the night sky was overcast and dark, they navigated by faith, and they called on the All-Father to bring them safely to land once more. A bad journey they had of it, their fingers numb and with a shiver in their bones that not even wine could burn off. They would wake in the morning to see that the rime had frosted their beards, and until the sun warmed them they looked like old men, white-bearded before their time. Teeth were loosening and eyes were deep sunken in their sockets when they made landfall on the green land to the west. The men said, We are far, far from our homes and our hearths, far from the sea we know and the lands we love. Here on the edge of the world, we will be forgotten by our gods. Their leader clambered to the top of a great rock, and he mocked them for their lack of faith. The All-Father made the world, he shouted. He built it with his hands from the shattered bones and the flesh of Ymir, his grandfather. He placed Ymir's brains in the sky as clouds, and his salt blood became the seas we crossed. If he made the world, do you not realize that he created this land as well? And if we die here as men, shall we not be received into his hall? And the men cheered and laughed. They set to with a will to build a hall out of split trees and mud, inside a small stockade of sharpened logs, although as far as they knew, they were the only men in the new land. On the day that the hall was finished, there was a storm. The sky at midday became became dark as night, and the sky was rent with forks of white flame and the thunder crashes were so loud that the men were almost deafened by them, and the ship's cat they had brought with them for good fortune hid beneath their beached longboat. The storm was hard enough and vicious enough that the men laughed and clapped each other on the back, and they said, The Thunderer is here with us in this distant, and that's our page. Here begins our first Coming to America chapter to end chapter 3. It's relatively brief at this point, but some of them do go a little lengthy. This one's also fairly violent and really starts nailing down some of the things Neil's only really hinted at. In the full cast recording, I think I might have mentioned it, Neil reads these Coming to America and Welcome... Well, not Welcome to America. Neil reads the Coming to America and uh, Somewhere in America sections, and the rest of the cast really knocks it out of the park, but... Hearing Neil read his own work is always a joy. First thing jumping out at me is that our ever-present narrator describes the sea as green, which is debatably a more modern take on the color of the ocean. At least, well, maybe I'm spinning my own bias. Um, The most famous example of early descriptions of the ocean is Homer's Windark Sea, which supposedly points to the Greeks not having a word for blue. I did find a New York Times piece from December 20th, 1980 that suggested that the Greeks may have described the sea as wine dark because their wine was drunk diluted, which would have changed the hue and made it maybe more of a bluish, greenish, some other mixture color. But whenever I think, whenever I see a description of the sea as blue or green, it it makes me wonder... Uh, just exactly what we're getting, if it's if it's more modern interpretation or something like that. The fragments that we get of the poetic and prose Edda, which is where the Norse mythology comes from, for the most part, only date back to the 13th century, 
and the text described maybe goes back to the 10th century. Anyway, I don't know why I think this might be a goof. It could be intentional on Neil's part, especially because our so far unseen narrator would be writing probably from the 20th, maybe early 21st century. I mean, it got me two or three extra minutes of recording talking about it. Rhyme is a less common word, and the most common use is Coleridge's poem, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. The word itself actually fell out of favor in Middle English until it was revived in the 18th century by Coleridge himself. Word originally is Germanic in origin, comes to English in Old English as hrim or hrime, and the Dutch word rhyme, R-I-J-M, to form rhyme when you smash the two together. Basically, though, it refers to frost formed on objects, in this case, the men's beards. The page here also really starts hitting on that theme of faith, or lack thereof, and I think this is also the first time where Odin is mentioned as the Allfather. It's interesting because he says that, the leader says that Odin created the world, so he would have created this land, and now that these men have arrived on this land, Odin has now traveled to this land. And there's plenty to be said about where gods exist and where they don't exist, but I think we can get to that a little bit more. Basically, though, in brief, gods and American gods arrive in new lands as their believers do, and also then fade as their believers fade away and or die. So once these men step onto the land, Odin exists in this world in some form or fashion. The leader mentions Ymir. Um, Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology states he was the first being larger than the world. And I'm really annoyed because if I had maybe flipped through Norse mythology a little closely, he was larger than the world, but he was suckled by the first cow, uh, Audhumla. And I wondered if that was a callback to Hathor, the Egyptian goddess we discussed back in the Bilqua section of the book. It's probably a stretch, but it was one of those things like, it was right there. I could have I could have made that connection, you know, 30 pages ago. Oh, well. Anyway, let me... Uh, let me get my copy of Norse Mythology and read a little bit about Ymir for you. Where the ice and the fire met, the ice melted, and in the melting waters life appeared. The likeness of a person bigger than worlds, huger than any giant there will be or has ever been. This was neither male nor was it female. It was both at the same time. This creature was the ancestor of all the giants, and it called itself Ymir. Ymir was not the only living thing to be formed by the melting of the ice. There was also a hornless cow more enormous than the mind could hold. She licked the salty blocks of ice for food and for drink, and the milk that ran from her four udders flowed like rivers. It was this milk that nourished Ymir. It goes on, and we get kind of a, a look at the Norse pantheon a little more closely, but we don't need to deal with that today. Teeth loosening is most likely a reference to scurvy. Scurvy is most often associated with sailors on ships due to a lack of vitamin C in their diet. Other symptoms would include bruising and general weakness, and also fatigue. Sunken eyes are probably dehydration, which also wouldn't be a huge shock because they've been at sea for a while, and lack of clean and not salt water is certainly one of the biggest challenges in early sailing. Paige also mentioned that a cat was brought on the ship for luck. I didn't realize this was a thing, but apparently it was, and it even sometimes continues now into the modern day. It seems to have originated on Egyptian boats, 
They'd bring cats, and the cats would catch birds on the riverbanks. The practice spread to traders, probably including Vikings, sometime between the 8th and 10th centuries in northern Germany. There's actually a uh, Norwegian cat called the Norwegian Forest Cat, thought to be a descendant of these noble beasts, and in modern days, the breed can get as big as 16 pounds, uh, 7 kilos to my northern brethren. I also thought it was interesting to think about if a cat might or might not be lucky, and we can consider that as we read on. There are many mentions of cats throughout, and, well, I guess within the context of the page, a cat would be lucky because it would catch rodents and other pests that might carry disease or ruin stores of food. In the end of the page, they build their hall out of logs and are greeted by thunder, which the men imagine Thor is here with them in the new land as well. Uh, Very briefly, there was the quote that I didn't make a note on, but I noticed when I was reading, uh, if we die here as men, shall we not be received into his hall? This refers to uh, Odin's practice of welcoming great warriors who fall and uh, they're brought by the Valkyries to the Hall of Odin after they die. Has their luck changed? Well, come back tomorrow. We can talk about it more. You can get in touch at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com or on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganache for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme song. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page. And remember, only the gods are real.